All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What's happening? It's Mark Marin. This is my podcast. How are you? It's called WTF. Welcome to it. If you've never been here before, how's it going? Mary Lou Henner is on the show today. And hopefully, if everything works out correctly, Danny DeVito will be on Thursday. Kind of a taxi-themed week. Just works out like that sometimes. We'll see. I have not recorded the Danny DeVito uh, talk yet. Anything could happen between now and when I have to record that. But that's the plan. Can you dig it? Okay. Also, had some date confusion. Day and date confusion last, uh, what was it? What day is it? On Thursday, when I announced my dates, I'm going to do it again correctly. If you want to come see me, I'll be at the Merriam Theater in Philadelphia on Thursday, October 10th. The Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. on Friday, October 11th, and the Schubert Theater in Boston on Saturday, October 12th. All right, then I'm heading to Nashville at the James K. Polk Theater on Friday, October 18th, the Tabernacle in Atlanta on Saturday, October 19th, and the Masonic in San Francisco on Saturday, October 26th. Uh, you can go to WTFPod.com tour for tickets, but I am going to be taping my special on... Yep, the this is going to be on October 30th at the Red Cat Theater here in L.A. It's a nice black box theater. We're working on how it's going to all work there, how you can get tickets or whatever. Uh, there's It's not huge. It's going to be an intimate affair. It's going to be unique, and I'm going to talk to you. That's how it's going to go down. So if you want to free that date up to come, please do. Tickets aren't quite available yet, but they're going to happen. I'll let you know as soon as that happens. All right. Holy shit. Isn't this exciting that President Scumbag is being taken to task in a seemingly legitimate way? No, no I'm going to I'm going to pull seemingly right out of that sentence and say legit. This is some legit sort of unconstitutional fucked up behavior for a president. Yeah. Not that that's a surprise, but it looks like it's got teeth. And it's very, uh, it's very exciting. I can't say satisfying because uh, with the uh, with the power of the propaganda machine, these worms will worm out of anything. But uh, it looks like the screws are being put to them pretty good, and that's very satisfying. And I'm sorry if this upsets any of you, even you people that somehow rationalize or justify this guy just because you know you're doing okay or because you're a Republican. If you really, really, what it comes down to, if you support this guy unconditionally or even conditionally you're sort of anti-american you don't believe in our system and that seems to be the truth of the whole matter but the more these people defend this guy no matter what the more clear it is that they fundamentally don't believe in the american system of government and that makes them un-american they can scream socialist and this and that all they want but uh they are fundamentally un-American if they don't take this guy to task in a real way so that's how i see it that's how i'm gonna frame it so look folks it's been a pretty good few days for me if i look at it correctly i've worked a long time i've worked hard on a few things uh outside of my comedy outside of this podcast things like playing guitar things like acting and there's been some kind of I can acknowledge and see that I did all right. And that's a good feeling. If you do something and you succeeded at it or you look at it and you're like, did a pretty good job there. Take a minute 
and appreciate it. Will you? Because what else? Like, I mean, there's more to life, but Jesus Christ, you work hard on something and it, it works out. You should go like, oh, look at that. I did that. I did that. And it happened last week. Patrick Stickles, Titus Andronicus, a guy who I like a lot, who's been on this show a couple of times. I like his music. He plays hard. He's an earnest motherfucker. He's smart. He's funny. He's tormented. And I just, I like him. He's from New Jersey. We've always gotten along pretty good. And that's always nice to hear from him. He was playing here in LA at the Bootleg Theater. And I was doing comedy that night. But he said, come down and play Neil Young's Keep On Rocking in the Free World with me. And I'm like, all right, I think I can do that. And then, like, I learned the chords. I know the songs. I go and I throw, he tells me to throw my gold top in the car, my deluxe, my Gibson, Les Paul. And I did. And then I get there and I just got all chicken shit. I got to the gig, it's packed out, they're about to play, and I, I didn't bring my guitar in, I didn't want to be the guy that walked in with his guitar to play one song. So I, I asked him earlier, it's like, if I, if I don't bring it, will you get, do you got one around? He said, yeah, we'll set you up. But I got there, and uh, they had a jazz master out for me, a Squire jazz master. It might have been the Jay Mascus model. I didn't check, I was more focused on the, you know, just the nerves of playing the song. And they rock pretty hard, you know. They're a punk rock outfit, but it's pretty solid rock and roll stuff. It's good. He's having a great show. It was a great night. And the, this, they were about to close up, and I knew, I guess I should have figured, it was going to be the last song I was going to play with them, and their last song for the night. And I realized right before that, the song before the last song, that I, don't, I wasn't quite clear on some of the changes. So in a panic, I ran out of the the room where the show was and I and I pulled it up on Apple Music the song and I listened to it just so I kind of had it in my head and then he called me up on stage and we fucking did it and to be honest with you folks and I, I don't like being this honest but I think I've watched it like 15 to 20 times a day every day since I played it just me playing that lead with a real rock band and I get a kick out of it every time because I fucking nailed it and I it, I feel pretty good about that. I feel pretty good about my ability to land a fairly solid solo on someone else's guitar with someone else's equipment on a, on, in a great song. But th- that, that guitar sounded good. So my point is, all my practice has paid off. I can fucking, at least three out of five times, land a fucking pretty searing solo. That's all I'm saying proud of myself is that okay yes i call them president scumbag so what else happened last night last night i went to the joker premiere uh here in los angeles it was exciting um i it was it was kind of funny i got dressed up i went with lynn shelton she got dressed up you know we drove up it was high security they closed off all of hollywood boulevard there were plenty of fans on the street but you know there was this whole chunk of the street just empty and they it was massive security got out of the limo uh did the you know picture line there was no reporters there it was all photos just walked the line kind of hung around i finally got to sort of connect with joaquin a bit because we didn't really do it on set he gave me a hug and uh had a couple laughs and then we went into, uh, and then Todd Phillips, of course, the director. So the movie itself, had not seen it. Was very excited to see it. Nice, There's a nice build to it. 
and uh, it looks great. Joaquin is great. Then and boy, the end, man, the end definitely delivers. I, there's, I'm very limited when I can say, but I will say this: my scene is not as long as as it was shot, and I. You know these things happen, but it was it made sense. I I text before that last week. I texted uh, Todd Phillips, the director. I said, "Am I still in the movie?" And he said, "The walk and talk is out, but yeah, the dressing room scene is there, and you're on the and you're there. You know, you're you're in parts of the end of the movie." And I'm like, "Okay, so the walk and talk is out. Why is that?" And he said, "Because there's not a there's not a shot in this entire film that doesn't involve uh, Joker, doesn't involve Joaquin, whether it's his." point of view or whether he's in it or whether it's um something in his head that the one he said the one scene where he wasn't in it was when me and De Niro walking down the hallway towards the dressing room seeing it on the big screen knowing that you're doing the work in the present you can only feel what you feel but seeing it like I you know I I did it man I held my own in that moment in that little scene Uh, I acted right you know, I took Todd Phillips' note, you know, when he gave me direction, which is basically, you know, De Niro's your boss. And uh, I was very happy with the performance. It was very tight. I showed up. I'm definitely in it. So that was exciting. Go see the movie. I think you'll enjoy it. But it's not, it doesn't open until next Friday, I think. But it's something. <laughs> He's something, that Joaquin Phoenix. Talk like my father. That 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 Joaquin guy, something. So look, let's talk about our guest that we're we're going to enjoy right now. Mary Lou Henner um, wanted to do the show. I ran into her in a theater. Uh, I can't remember what show we were seeing. Maybe Death uh, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, or maybe it was uh, Hamilton. I don't remember, but I saw her, and she saw me, and she was very excited, and she wanted to come on the show. So today's her day. So Taxi, her the show that kind of made her, uh, first premiered 41 years ago this month, okay? And, that, and the plan here is to talk with Danny DeVito tomorrow and have that episode for you on Thursday. So this is me talking to Mary Lou about Mary Lou and the arc of Mary Lou. And it's she's pretty uh, pretty lively, so enjoy this. And also, by the way, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you at the end. Enjoy this. It's Mary Lou Henner and me. Do you want to wear cans? Yeah. X-Radio person? I know. How long did you do morning radio? Three years. It's like, it turns you upside down, right? You know... And you know then like I, six o'clock, you got to be on the air? At first I was doing five till eight. Yeah. And then I was doing um, eight till 11. Well, that's easier. And then that was a lot easier. At what stage do you do you decide to do radio? You know, I've always loved interviewing people. I used right. to sit in my backyard... I had a very crazy upbringing, but yeah. I used to sit in my backyard and interview people with my hairbrush. Really? And my Fictional Barbies Fictional people and or stuff. real people? Like neighbors oh. and kids that I knew. Because you stuff. saw it on TV? Because I saw, oh, I was obsessed with The Tonight with, Show. Oh, really? And so I just, I mean, I Like Carson's Tonight Show? Carson's Tonight Show. When I got to do it with him a few times, too, I know. which was so great. But like, so... Like, I was just always into... I, I'm so naturally curious about other people yeah. i'm always trying to like really get to know people right. and everything i'm just very 
pro extrovert yeah. maybe yeah. I don't know I, I'll talk to the person next to me on the airplane you know? oh yeah uh, you're that person <laughs> like Conan has a whole routine he does that. I yeah. find that I don't do it hardly at all anymore but mm-hmm. I find that when it does happen is literally like 14 minutes before landing oh like you could not safe. talk to some I yeah. guess that's what it is I don't know but I could not talk to somebody for five hours right and then out of yeah. nowhere it's just the conversation starts, starts to, to happen go. but maybe you don't go to the bathroom a lot I like a window I do go seat no, I, I, and you go to the bathroom a lot? And you yeah, like well the window? Well, enough. Yeah, yeah, I like the window. I, I like the window. aisle, because I like you to do. go to the bathroom, and I don't, yeah. So, see, now I'd have to yeah. talk to you to be able to crawl over. That's you. right. <laughs> my son, my mm. son, I have a, two sons, 23 and 25. The 25-year-old, Nick, he loves the middle seat. He feels yeah. it's the best of both really? worlds. And he he can be on a plane. He's I can, people be so happy for him to travel. I they, know, they, I know. He wants to do, a, he's a filmmaker, and he directs videos and stuff. And he How old is he? Director, 25. Just and he's a middle seat guy? I've middle ne- seat guy think... since he was little. I've never met a middle seat person. He wants to do a whole documentary on, on the middle, <laughs> middle seat. seat. It's the a great title. The benefits of the middle seat. Just call it the middle seat. The middle seat. And he wants, he feels like, even if there's like? nothing, well, he's he likes to talk to people. Yeah. He, you know, oh, okay. That kind of thing. You, so. you've, you made another one. I made two of them. Yeah. Both Talkers. Of my kids. Both of my kids. The one is a little less of a talker. In fact, my son, Joey, who's yeah. 23, comedy Wants to be a comedy writer yeah. in a writer's room. Right. Improv. Oh, yeah. Graduated from Northwestern. Yeah. Unbelievably funny. Well, you're from Chicago, right? Chicago. That's where Northwestern is. Yes. I went to University of Chicago, but uh, is that, Joey went to uh, Northwestern. So what does it look like when you're growing up? You just told me that you had skunks as pets? No. <laughs> this is what happened. I, I'll give you my little speech about my upbringing, and then you can take it from there. What, do could, do but, we have to, does it have to be in the form of a speech? No, no, but it's sort of like- See how many times you've done this? You see? people. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, just, it, it just says it all in like a few sentences. Well, we so. have more time. Okay, uh, that's what ahead. I like give about me, your podcast. Give me, give me the, give me the, the encapsulated <laughs> few sentence speech and then on you your can upbringing. Sort of like, okay, I, we can unpack I'll, it. I'll from try there. to make it sound fresh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but it was the <laughs> heart of the city. Do you know Chicago? Sure, a okay. little bit. Logan Square. Do you know I, Logan? It's so hipster, groovy now. Is it now? I, yes, I do. I, I actually do know Logan Square. Heart of the city. You mm-hmm. know the Kennedy Expressway just missed demolishing my house mm-hmm. when uh, I was a little girl because they were building it and everything else. So was, was there a pushback and protests? Like don't push. I don't know. I was right. four, okay. five. Um, but it was. You should know though. You have that memory thing. I know. I remember. I remember <laughs> what I <laughs> when it opened. Uh, so we lived on the boulevard and you weren't aren't allowed to have a commercial property or you couldn't back then anyway. Yeah. And so, but it didn't matter because my mother was very close friends with the alderman. Uh-huh. Uh, and we were even like the house where, um, uh, you know, people went to vote. Right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's always weird when you got to go to a house to vote. To vote. Yeah. So, but we, my father built this garage, a fake garage, which is, you know, I, that's why I laud you for doing this in your garage because I grew up <laughs> yeah. as a garage kid. My mother ran a dancing school in our garage, and it was 200 students from the neighborhood between the ages of two. The hell of a big garage. It wasn't. It was like two and a half cars. So she ran a few classes. No, There was never 200. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. Baby classes, old classes. She was a dancer. A dancer. And we all danced. We all, as soon as you were 14, put to work, you had to have a class. So there were- You had to teach. You had to teach. Oh, I danced since I was two. So yeah. What kind of dance? Ballet? Tap, ballet, jazz. Tap? My mother taught my mother taught modern dancing, you know, like you jazz. I can tap. Have you tapped with uh, Christopher Walken? No. No. You should maybe that's something you should do before. I know. I aspire 
Yeah, okay. To tap with Christopher Walken. Do you have any memories of Christopher Walken? I do. In an elevator, in uh, we were all staying at the Viva Hotel. Yeah. The Viva, uh, like apartments. Yeah. In Vancouver in 1996. When you were shooting? I was shooting the Titanic. I don't know what he was shooting. He had red hair, crazy hair, and so we'd run into each other in the elevator. The Titanic, not the, Titanic, no, not Titanic. The Titanic, the, the Titanic miniseries. Ah. Uh. That starred um, that my husband at the time was directing Robert Lieberman. I uh-huh. played Molly Brown, yeah, unsinkable Molly Brown. Right. I had two little kids. One was six. Yeah. Joey was six, and Nikki was uh, had just turned two. Right. And uh, yeah, and but it was like Peter Gallagher and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh-huh. It's what introduced her to the, the world American public. And mm-hmm. you had a, a, a elevator moment with walking. A couple of them. Yeah. Laundry room. How was that? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was married to Frederick Forrest. He was my first husband. From so a lot of those now. guys. And the Rose. Yeah. So a lot of those guys that were that group, yeah. you know, knew me from that. How old were you when you were married to Frederick Forrest? 28. Yeah. He was and much older. He was much older? Well, it's about 43. At, and you were 28 and he was mm-hmm. 43? 44, yeah. 44? Yeah. And you met on that movie? We... No, we met on a movie, the movie Hammett yeah, at the screen that's what I mean. test. Yeah. January the 5th, 1980. <laughs> I won't do dates all the time. But you had no but kids like, with him? No, I had no children. I was only with him two years. Oh, that bad, huh? Bad enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You either you either want a marriage that's bad enough that you're out in two years, yeah. or good enough that you're in well, for it's a while. It, it, it's glad it wasn't one of those slow percolating no. bads. No, yeah, no. He had he he talks about it. He, he in a bad he way. Was, no, he definitely he definitely you know he was an alcoholic, uh-huh. and I'd never you know I'm so like sunny. Yeah, like oh well that's okay. Well, you know, was that your first alcoholic? It. Yes, uh-huh. kind of boyfriend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a shock. Yeah. A but shock. Do, do you find that you are you attracted to people with a compulsive sort of addictive I'm attracted issues? to people. I'm attracted. Well, I understand. No, that. I don't think. No. I don't, you mean like the fix it type? I, I don't know. I've had my issue. I, I've had my relationships over the years with people who were Fixer dark uppers. and complicated dark. and yeah. thought like, oh, you know, and they're attracted <laughs> to me. So I'm attracted to them, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, you were the, uh, you, the, the dark and complicated. Uh, uh, <laughs> the dark whisperer. The, the, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a full-time job. Yeah. No, my, I, my, one of my brothers has been in and out of rehab a few times. In fact, I'm one of six siblings and five of us went to Betty Ford and spent the week there and went to, and they said they've never seen that happen to, with a family. Like you were so at Betty many Ford? People. My brother was. Five of you though. What's but five of you? Five of us went yeah. there for family week. Oh, oh, I thought you, you were patients and I was no, like, oh my no, God. No, 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 we got a discount. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Uh-huh. He talks, he wants to do a, a Zagat guide on rehab. Oh, he <laughs> does for rehab? He's a real character. Oh, yeah. your brother? How many you got? Two five? brothers. There's two brother. There's two boys and four girls. Everyone's still I was the around. Third. Yeah. That's yeah. My nice. parent. Our parents died very young, cr- tragically, both of them. But, but they. Um, but yeah, the siblings are all still. Together. So there's a dance studio in the garage. Dance studio. In You're the garage. teaching at 14. 200 there's, students. There's tapping and there's ballet. N- nuns. Oh, I thought you said ballet. Is there a <laughs> this no is a ballet. lower middle class <laughs> neighbor in Chicago. No ballet. No ballet. You could park on the boulevard. <laughs> ballet. There's ballet. Ballet, tap, jazz, mo- uh, social dancing. I can see you doing jazz. Oh yeah. For, uh, well, I did Fosse for yeah, a year on Broadway. You I, did. I did Chicago. I remember that. Four hundred eight performances of Chicago. Of I wow. did it in 
on Broadway. Yeah. And I did, I replaced Annie Ranking, so I was the first replacement. And so I went in, I, I did the show with B.B. Newworth and Joel Gray and, wow. and uh, Jimmy Naughton. And then I, they asked me to go to Vegas. And I thought, oh, Vegas, I don't want to go. And then they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I was like so excited. I went, okay, yeah, that sounds like a deal. So I went there. I took my two little boys. They were three and a half and five at the time. And we had the best time. They got us a house. We... The boys learned to swim. They got their yellow belts in karate. It was fantastic in Vegas. And I got so complimented because I was at the Mandalay Bay and the the people were saying, oh, you're great. Well, we love you here. And I was like, oh, you like the show? And he was like, no, we sell a lot more Belvedere with your crowd. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the the booze. It's all about the booze. Getting them back out to the casino. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's weird. I don't, uh, was that the first time you worked in Vegas? Yeah, the only time. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in 99 and it was really fun. I had a great time. I mean, they had to drag me kicking and screaming to go and then they had to drag me kicking and screaming out of there but the boys had to start school so I had to I had to do it. Yeah, but it was. I had a blast. We, you know, they gave they well, gave us a when, bungalow with the. Well, yeah, when you get first class treatment in Vegas, I imagine it's really first the class. Misters, you know, you 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 take your kids to the waving the the wave pool yeah. and the lazy river and uh-huh. all that other stuff. No, they we loved had a great it. time. And and the audiences were great. Yeah, they loved the show, and we did the same show we did on Broadway. But it is kind of funny when you're doing a second show on Tuesday. Yeah, and you're about to start the <laughs> second act, and it's midnight. Yeah, you know, and you're doing me and my baby. If you right, the show. right. And, it's and like crazy. There's no time in Vegas. No, it's there's just no time. time. Yeah, no time. So okay, so it's you so start good. dancing. I yeah. start dancing. Are you the youngest? Were you in the no, middle? No, I'm the third. There's a. Okay. My parents were married five years, then they had a girl. Yeah. Another five years, they had a second girl. Yeah. Another five years, they had me. Yeah. And then the next year, a boy. Next year, a girl. Three years later, a boy. Was it? Uh, so that seems like an interesting pacing. So it there's was. a lot of space. They they had they they my mother gave birth to babysitters. You know, my she gave birth to me, and then that was the plan. Thirteen months later, she gave birth to the first boy. Yeah. You know, the little Buddha. So. I my older sister kind of raised me but we we grew up I mean it was such a great way to grow up because it was not only a dancing school but my mom ran a beauty shop out of our kitchen where the 20- whole house was a business it's the whole house was a business 50 <laughs> 25 women from the neighborhood would come over and get their hair done. But were there the signs kitchen. or is there just a known thing? It's just a known thing. Everybody came over. Everybody oh. hung out at my house. My parents All were under the incredible. table. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but but not, you know, for a dollar a student and my mother right. would charge, you know, three dollars for a kept her busy though, right? She I, I grew up with such a great role model about wanting to do a lot of different things and being an entrepreneur and well, what about food? What who's feeding everybody? Uh she was, but as my, my uncle used to say, as a cook, she was a very good dancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But I liked my mother's cooking because it was very simple. She was Greek. Uh-huh. My father was Greek's Polish. The best. I just went there for the first time. I've never been there, but Greek food, I love it. So clean, so fish. Clean. I like fish. fish. I like I like horta, which is the I like the horta, greens, the greens. They're just the like greens. dandelion greens or yeah. something. Yeah, and, and I love the white beans. Have you had that mash. dessert, Gallic de Borco? I don't eat dairy. I haven't mm. had dairy since... Oh! Today is my 40th anniversary of not having dairy, August 15th, 1979. I hardly eat it because it just seems like pure fat to me. Oh, but not only that, it just weighs you down. It's the hardest thing for your stomach. But, yeah, to but for 40 years and to celebrate that, like you really have something against dairy. I do. Uh. Oh, I, you know, I. What, what I was started upset, that? Upset. Well, my parents both died very young. My father died of a heart attack at 52. I was 17 at the time. That's terrible. My mother died at 58 of arthritis. Of arthritis? The complications, rheumatoid arthritis, the upper vertebrae of her spine disintegrated, shifted out of position, made her paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, my God. That's horrible. 
right before I got taxi. So it was really sad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And what's that have to do with dairy? Well, the more I started studying the human body, and yeah. I went to, I took, you know, went to the Bodhi Tree, if you remember that. Yeah, I do. The to, Bodhi Tree bookstore? On Melrose. Yeah, it's I where- I went there. Yeah. Nutrition. The Earth, Earth Cafe is there now, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or is it across the street? I think it's across the street. It's close. But same neighborhood. Yeah. Same same street. Um, same block. So you went to the the holistic bookstore. I went there. Started nutritionists. Yeah. Doctors. I took human anatomy classes at UCLA. Out of fear for your life. I just felt like if if my parents can both die in their fifties, mm. and this is the genetic hand we've been dealt, and I've got all these brothers and sisters, yeah. I don't want to, you know. Well, how's every how are, are are they doing? Good. Really good. Are also, they all on the same diet as you? No. The smart ones. <laughs> no. <laughs> the ones who are the most healthy. No. Everybody dabbles in it. Yeah. Some of them are totally committed. Polish. How Polish was your dad? Half. Yeah? Half. I mean, no, he was Polish. Yeah. 100%. My mother, 100% Greek. So you, you it's a great gr- combination. It is an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm com- very lucky. I, I don't know if I've ever heard that one before. Yeah, it's rare. It's rare. I, I look probably more Polish. Well, people always think I'm Irish and Italian, but It feels pretty similar. Chicago to me, Chicago. Polish and Greek yeah, for Chicago. some reason. Certainly Polish. real neighborhood. Yeah. Very neighborhood. My, my, my whole neighborhood was very Polish and German. Not yeah. too many Greeks. But, you, are you Ukrainian? Uh, a little bit Ukrainian, but I mean, mostly. Where, where's the, um, where are the pierogies from? Oh. Uh, are they Polish? Polish. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, pierogies were, you know. But we were very American. Yeah. Uh, you know, my parents were first generation, but they weren't very Greek and they weren't very Polish. Religion? They just Catholic. My mother discovered Catholicism, and that's when she started having all the kids. And so we lived right next door to a Catholic church. And she then, discovered it? Was she well, Greek Orthodox? she was born Greek Orthodox, yeah. and my oldest sister was baptized Greek Orthodox. Uh-huh. Then she got into the Catholic church because it was right next door. And so um, the nuns came over for stretch classes. <laughs> to the, the In their habits? In their habits. No. In their habits. I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but my mother, because my mom you know gave oh, them exercises private? the nuns class was private the kids weren't allowed in but she also cut their hair uh-huh and because she had this beauty shop but yeah. she'd go to the convent to cut their hair but it's a beauty shop what, what do you mean had a couple of those dryers in the house we had one dryer where the yeah. refrigerator was supposed to be the re- refrigerator was down in the basement uh-huh and so the blue hair drying chair was in the kitchen and the whole kitchen was kind of set up like a salon with a, you know how like when you go to a salon and there's like the little tray with the neck yeah. that was set up in our kitchen. You know, the kitchen was set up like a hair now, salon. Now was this the, the primary business of the family? Was your The mother's... dancing school was. And what'd your dad Oh no, do? my father sold, he, he was a troubleshooter for uh, Ford Motor Company and uh, Chevrolet. He was a car sale, you know, like manager of dealerships. Oh, yeah? I think one of the reasons I have a good memory is I had to memorize so many phone numbers because he never stayed at a place for very long. He'd go in there for three months, build it up, move to the next, maybe six months, build it up, go to the next. He was, my parents were very dynamic and very, you know, full of energy. And just he, my image of my parents growing up is that there was always, people laughing at you know women men lined up to dance with my mother on the dance floor and women in the corner with my father with their heads thrown back in laughter oh they looked like lana turner and clark gable in our exciting yeah Yeah. and then at some point because we had these big parties at some point you know somebody would put on a rumba and my father would go on the floor and everybody would clear the space and my parents would dance yeah Uh, so sweet dancing is uh that kind of dancing to know how to dance it's very kind of exciting 
It is. It's really. I think fun. I learned how to do it for my first marriage, my first oh, you wedding. Did, did you? Did you? We took some ballroom classes, oh. but I didn't stick with it. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things I I think I should stick with because they probably make me feel good, but I, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a dancer. Yeah, but I bet you have. You you seem like you have natural grace. Yeah, I well, I would hope so. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think I, I think I can do it. I'm athletic and I have pretty good rhythm. What was your sport? No, I mean I don't have a sport, but I oh. mean physique wise, you know, yeah. I, I yeah, work out, I run, built. and yeah, but right. I, competitive sports were not my. And you have bag. to sit here for so long. That's why it's like, oh, yeah, you... I, wor- I, I don't have back issues. I have knee issues. I don't have ankle issues. I don't really. I, you I, must my, walk well. I do all right. I'm a little hunched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a natural hunch because I'm holding my stomach in a lot. Right. Because I grew You're up with crunches. that. Oh. Well, yeah, my mom was a little, a little bit body dysmorphic. Oh. So that was a, it's a hereditary trait. I think it's, I, I, was I think it was, to, the, uh, I heard you talk about it yeah, in one of your podcasts. You did? <laughs> one of the many? My <laughs> no, but I think, I think that that's the generation too. Yeah? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I th- you know, my, well, one of my three mother-in-laws, because I have mothers-in-law, because I've had three, I'm on my third and final husband. But he, but they, uh, every one of my mothers-in-law talked about weight and talked about going on diet pills when they were pregnant or going on you know my mother was naturally thin so she one of those people the enemy we call them (laughs) no No, i listen i've got the you know i think it's food i Uh I really think it's it's so not popular to say that now you think what's food food? i used to weigh 56 pounds more than i do right now. stop it i did i did at one time yeah until i changed my uh in college oh I would go up and down, up and down. I was a horrible yo-yo dieter. I'd go on every stupid bo- diet. This I, I talk about this in all of my books because I found a different way of eating that worked for me. And it just, it's like learn to love the food that loves you. Mm-hmm. That's what I call it. Because I knew dairy didn't love me. I knew sugar didn't love me. I knew a couple things didn't love me. I don't me. eat a lot of sugar, but I eat fruit. Yeah, that's well, that's a natural sugar, but it's not like refined sugar, not kitty cocaine sugar. No, I don't do much of that. Mm-hmm. I like stevia, like almond milk. I make my own almond milk. Oh, you do? Yeah, it's great. My son's very allergic to nuts uh, and cats, too, so unfortunately really? we can't have a cat because uh, I always liked cats. No nuts, no but, cats. Yeah, no nuts, no cats. Those nut allergies are scary. And I knew it's seven months old because he had something from a hotel room. We were staying yeah. at the Mirage. And, yeah. And so, that, oh, really? And, and he had so taken the sudden, hospital? No. But oh. I could tell his whole. But you know uh, what works for, what's the cure-all? Breast what? milk. Breast milk's unbelievable. Really? It is. Not it, considered like, dairy, though. It's like, no, no, no. It's not from a cow. <laughs> <laughs> totally different. <laughs> totally different okay. chemical makeup uh, <laughs> and everything. <laughs> that that's good dairy breast that's milk that's good dairy breast milk yes so you're dancing my uncle lived upstairs with the 10 cats two dogs two birds a skunk 150 fish and his boyfriend Charles and he taught art at the Catholic grammar school next door he had art classes going on upstairs while the dancing school was going on while the beauty it sounds shop like was the, in the, the kitchen the city should have been paying for all this <laughs> they should have <laughs> and he was also the neighborhood astrologist and he ran a cat hospital on our roof so we had all this are you, fu- are you shitting me? This is totally true. Where's this is this how movie? I grew up. Why I know, you write this I know. Script? I should write this movie. It's so crazy the way I grew up, and people go, it sounds are like you a kidding play. me? It sounds like a play. It, it, it it's a like. lot of people. Well, it's like you can't take it with you. Exactly. Because there's so much going on. Exactly. But it gave us such an outlook, and my pa- my mother and my uncle were so obsessed with old movies and culture and yeah. theater and opera and everything else that we would be exposed and, to all of and, that. And gayness. And gayness. 
oh, I knew that they were a couple. He had his arm around him at dinners. He, their beds were pushed together. You know, so you grew it up with like, tolerance and yeah. embracing Do you want to know something? I was 21 years old yeah. and in the first national company of Greece. And uh-huh. I was in Boston. I, not Boston. I was in another city in, in Toronto. And I got a, a birthday card that said, love Uncle Dan and Charles. And my girl, my, one of the girls in the show, she said, yeah. love Uncle Dan and Charles. Is your uncle gay? And I yeah. said, yeah it's like there was no label there was no label to us right you know so they had the most successful relationship of any of the relationships in our whole family they were together the longest and they're buried next to each other and how do you have a pet skunk though is a big question he got it he deodorized it you you take the little sack off you do Mm -hmm. and it was a nice animal so cute jet what was all the fucking animals? So how did they live up there? Did it smell like shit all the time? It sounds like no. a fucking zoo. No, he kind of cleaned it up. And we were the godparents. Each one of us got a cat. Mine was Chiffon, a little calico cat. Uh-huh. It was so cute. And this was going on in the upstairs. The dancing school. <laughs> Everything. Every, all of this went on all the time. And it's just the way and it was. And there were five of you. Six. six. Six of you. Six of us. And this was all going on. This was all going on. So I grew up with a very kind of theatrical upbringing. Yeah. And people would call... You know, colleges, high schools, uh, community theaters would call the house and want kids for a show. Yeah. And so we, you know, I was always like the first one with her hand up. So I would, I got to do a lot of shows. I had connections. So I started doing a lot of community theater. And then when I was 15, I did like a very famous production of The Boyfriend in Chicago. I was the youngest kid by far, person by far. It was like a big theater production. um, Yeah, it was community theater, but it was like a very well respected one. Right. And then one of the guys that I met who was in the advertising agency, quite a bit older, he called me and he said, Hannah, I've written the show. It may never get off the ground. We're going to perform it in a converted trolley barn. I wrote it about the kids I went to high school. It's called Grease. So I did the original company of Grease in Chicago. Before it got to New York? Before anything. Oh, wow. So I did that. He had all. He wrote all the music and everything? He and his partner, uh, yeah, Warren Casey. It was Jim Jacobs yeah. and then Warren Casey. And so the first day of rehearsal, we both, we walked in and it was like two stacks, yeah. about nine inches tall. One of them was songs and the other one was scenes. And he'd pass out the scenes. Who were you? I, well, do you know the, the player of the I, movie? I'm, I think, I feel like I saw the play when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, in New York, I don't know. Like I remember when that. Were, when were you? I don't. September twenty seventh, nineteen sixty three. Oh, you were going on a you were going on a Friday. Okay, are you sure? So, I thought it was a Thursday night. It was a Friday. Um, okay, it might have been after midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, September twenty seventh, nineteen sixty three is a Friday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I believe you. Um, pretty sure. I, that's all just off the top of my head. <laughs> so. He wrote it about these kids from sure. school. I think I remember the sexy, tough one. And I remember Rizzo, Rizzo, yeah. Rizzo. was funny. And yeah. then, like, I can't so remember who played it. Who. It, it, it opened it? in New York, 72, yeah. uh, February 14th of 72. And so you might have seen it when if you saw the original company. And then it moved to Broadway. So it was at the Eden Theater. Who was I was it? in college. Who played Rizzo so? on Broadway? Uh, Adrian Barbeau. Mm. And who played the good girl? Uh, Carol Demas. Huh. So, I wonder who I saw. But you might have seen Barry Bostwick, maybe? I, I can't. I really can't remember. So oh. did you play? Who'd you play? I played Marty, yeah. who was in it, who sang Freddie, My Love. Oh, yeah. And his boyfriend went off and she was had, I she remember. Was like, well, she had the the one who I saw do it had a really nasally voice. No, that might have been Frenchie. 
Oh, Frenchie, that's Frenchie, Frenchie with the yeah. red hair. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. I had I wore a blonde wig, and oh, okay. you know, she was like the one who was very flirty with everybody, sort yeah. of a Marilyn Monroe wannabe. Oh, okay. And flirted with the disc jockey who came to do the uh, what you call it. So, so anyway, so here I am in. I'm doing the show in Chicago. The show goes to Broadway. My yeah. father had just passed away, so I didn't want to do any. I didn't want to so go to like New 17. York and audition. And then I get a call. I went to University of Chicago. On four scholarships, so because I was like four scholarships mm-hmm. for dance, hair, no, no. animals, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and just social, <laughs> just personality. <laughs> yeah. What were the scholarships? National Merit, National Honor Society. Oh. Um, I was named Outstanding Teenager of Illinois, which wow. is kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, you know how to, I know how to fill out a good resume. <laughs> no, I was a, a, an overachiever. As uh-huh. a kid. Yes. And you, and what'd you do in college? I uh, they didn't. I did a lot of plays, but they didn't have. You couldn't get a theater degree, so I I was going for a political science. But I would I placed out of a lot of classes, so I would have graduated in three years. But then, at the beginning of my third year, I get a call from Jim Jacobs yeah. who says. We're casting the national company. It starts rehearsal tomorrow. I've saved the part for you. Please come to New York today. You have to come to get the job. I said, oh, I'm on my way to the library. I have two papers due. I'm in a relationship. Thank you for thinking of me. Hang up the phone. And I walked to the library, and my car was parked in front of the library. And I thought, is this a sign? Because it was never parked there. And I thought, I'm going. So I looked at both. I went went to, <laughs> to the airport. Flew student standby. Yeah, Remember, maybe sure. you were too. Kind of, yeah. And uh, got the job. And so showed up at the first rehearsal. And in that room was um, uh, Jeff Conaway was playing Danny Zuko. Sure. And do you know who Judy Kay is? She won the Tony Award. I think Award. I saw him as, as him. Is oh, that possible? Danny? Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. And um, Jerry Zachs just directed My Fair Lady, directs yeah. like everything on Broadway. He was playing Kanicki. Yeah. Michael Lembeck, who did the original Everybody Loves Raymond, he was playing Sonny. And John Travolta was playing Duty. Yeah. So, and Richard Gere was rehearsing with us to, to play Danny in London. So, What year is this? Uh, this is no- November the 28th of 1972. So these, none of these guys were known oh, guys? Oh, nobody. No, and they were all like four or five years older than Johnny and I. All right, yeah. so let's talk about Travolta for a minute since you okay. don't seem to care about talking about people. you know, In the good ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So in, You made it. So, all of a sudden you got so serious. Oh, my God. It's like, should I, relative, do I have to put this light in my well, face? Well, I'm just curious. Like, relative to, you know, what he's become, which is, you know, he's still John Travolta, but there's a lot of mystery and weirdness about him. What was he like as a kid? He was, well, he's, he and I immediately got along because we're both from families of six kids. Yeah. We both have... We both have two brothers and three sisters because he's from a family of three and three and I'm two and four. So we both have two sisters yeah. and three brothers. His mother taught drama. My mother taught dance. His father sold tires. My father sold cars. Uh-huh. We both grew up in these lower middle class neighborhoods but thought we were the cultural center of our neighborhood. Uh-huh. You know, and it just grew up singing and dancing and performing and everything else. He was, during that time, like my best, best friend because we were very familial and very comfortable with each other and just took to each other right away are you still friends yeah not as much yeah you know unfortunately i think scientology (laughs) took him away i think so i don't know yeah i I mean that's been a long time already but this is yeah yeah yeah. i know when he and and it no it happened over time yeah Yeah. but you you guys were you never dated you weren't oh yeah on and off for 13 years for 13 years (laughs) yeah Yeah. on and off Mm mm-hmm but he's, yeah, but, I, we lived together for a while. He's just—he's a great guy. I mean, our families, 
very close. We'd you know travel with them very oh, yeah. well. Oh wow! Yeah, we travel back and forth. You know, went spent a lot of holidays together, our families. And so stuff. these were your your young like yeah. formative love years. Yeah, with really John good. Travolta. But yes, uh, but we were. I would say we were always more friends and siblings. Than, oh yeah, than lovers. I mean, so we were lovers, that, but we were. Was that always the weird rub of it? Like no, you were too good no, at because and... we we could stay up all night talking. Yeah. We were, he reminded me of my brothers. Yeah. You know, I reminded him of his sisters, and he's he's a great guy. He's a great great guy. Oh, that's sweet. Like yeah. I never ask people about this stuff, but it, it just I'm curious about what these since your memory's so good, what these people were like when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like no, Richard Gear. I don't. Even oh, know. Richard was fantastic. We did. We did. Well, Richard, I knew from the Grease days, but then my first movie that I came out here in '77 to do a, uh, a screen test. Um, well, no, I came out in April to do a screen test for a movie uh, called Blood Brothers, right? Which was, and he ended up getting the part opposite me, and it, he was fantastic. So we got to be friendly then, and whenever we see each other at some function or something, it's, it's like, like we're right back there. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, so you do the national touring thing mm-hmm. yeah. with Greece. It was so much fun, and it was like I'm back in my hometown, and you know, yeah. at a theater that I'd gone to as a little girl and wanted to be there. And I went to New York one weekend to visit a friend of mine who was doing Greece on Broadway, and she had me meet her at the theater because she had a singing lesson. And I walk in, and they're shoot, they're they're auditioning for an, a new Broadway show called Over Here, which I had heard about, but I didn't think there was a part for me. And I get on stage, they. I sing. I I audition, and um, a week later they flew me back, and I got the part. Musical. Musical. You like the musicals. I love to sing and dance. Yeah. I, well, I love. I love all. I love. I love all of it. Yeah. I love all of it. So you do that for how long? The I did that a year. Mm-hmm. And then and then year. and so now you're like a in New York a known thing. Well, I, you know, I started getting an agent and stuff like that. Yeah. So people, you know, they send you. I did. I auditioned for 40 commercials before I got one because I finally figured out how to land a commercial. How's that? But then I did 72 of them. So how do you land a commercial? You have to go in and be yourself. <laughs> That's it. Don't act. Don't act. That's the hardest thing for people to learn. Yeah. You were, you were talking about that in one. I feel like I'm a student of yours now because I've been listening to your podcasts oh, yeah? for a few days. I was so excited to be on this. <laughs> you have no idea. It was well, I know. Because like really so I, I, I know so many of the people that you talk about and interview. And yeah, so is there any corrections stuff. that need to be made? Uh, just a couple. No. Okay. <laughs> like who? Who did you listen to that you know? Well, I love David Letterman. That I remember was the great. first time I met him. Yeah. That was. November 22nd, 1979. Uh-huh. He was hosting The Tonight Show, and I came on, and yeah. we just, I love, I did his show like 14 times. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. And Jay, of course. And, you know, Jay, but you said that you met Jay, and he took you to the comedy store. What, you what know was that? Inter- okay, he, and you were talking about, and Letterman was talking about the fact that he was so good, and I remember some of his things, He like one of the things he did was about being a college student, and you couldn't have a microwave, you couldn't cook in your room. Yeah. And it was like the cops, oh, come on now, we know you got soup in there. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did that for years. But it was interesting because we hung out all day, went to the comedy store. What, wait, now, what did you say you put together for what reason that you were auditioning oh, uh, for something? Oh, American Hot Wax, which I was totally wrong for. I kept saying, did you, you get, need Were it. you I, in that? No, no, no. Fran Drescher got the part and she was perfect. I always. When that was I the Alan Freed movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've 
always had like a very producer head. Yeah. And so when I think I'm wrong for something, I'm the first person to say, don't get me, yeah. get this other person. Yeah. I've probably talked myself out of many jobs that way. Did you do movies before you did TV? I did I did some work in New York, um, yeah. but then I got cast in the film with Richard Gere, came out here to do this. Yeah. A casting director really liked me and kept bringing me in for everything, and they brought me in for Taxi, Yeah. and I was totally wrong for the part, because at the time I was 25, they wanted a, a 35-year-old Italian New Yorker yeah. who could have uh, a 16-year-old daughter. Right. And um, But they liked me, and they thought I could hold my own with the guys, uh-huh. and they wanted... And in the meantime, yeah, I had done the pilot for Paper Chase and did it as a guest star, and then I tested so high, they thought, what, we only have her as a, cast, as a guest star? So then it was great because... Taxi was like, well, we still want this 35-year-old girl and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they said, well, okay, you're going to lose her to Paper Chase then. So they went, okay, she's Elaine. Oh, thank so God then they for made Paper it Chase. Too, yeah. Which you didn't. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like those <laughs> Which didn't even last as a show, Three did years. It? Oh, it did? Three years. That's we were five. Bad. Taxi was five. Only Chase five. Was three. Seems like Taxi Feels was like on a, forever. I know. We did so many. It was many. such a, a powerful uh, presence culturally. We had so much fun. Judd Hirsch played the dad on my show. He played my dad. Oh, he did? Yeah. He's intense, huh? He is intense, and I was worried so about it. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, because like we, it was, it was. I, my concern was when we were able to get him. Yeah, I mean, this is only a few years ago. Yeah, was that he'd be too Jewy and too soft? Because my dad's oh. a little aggravated and a little. Oh bipolar. my god, that's who, where he lives. I aggravated know. and oh my god, he must have been amazing. Well, once we made the adjustment, because like he does sort of settle into like you know a, a Judge Hirsch thing that sort of. You know, like it wasn't as aggressive, but like right when I just remember there was this moment where I'm like, he's doing it. He's being too cute. And he's kind of, you know, he's just doing this Jew thing. Really? And and I and we were like, someone's got to tell him. He's got my dad's a little nuts. Oh, and, my he, Judd is one of the most intense people I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, yeah. when, we you know, when we. Oh, well, like, yeah. Once we made the adjustment oh, it was right there. Like, yeah. He's fabulous he's a yeah. fabulous actor i learned you watching him and danny devito just take a script that was you know i mean there were no bad taxis yeah. but there were some that were much better than others and some that in the beginning of the week you'd think like oh and they were they were just masters and christopher lloyd to, too is like a trip lloyd. he came in as a guest star and they just loved him so much they just made him a regular the following year and what about andy Andy. I loved Andy. I, I was so disappointed in Man on the Moon. So, so, so disappointed. Oh, me too. Yeah. I, I thought, well, now that I've seen the documentary with right, Jim and Andy, it was sense. like, well, Jim had his own How are you gonna, going to, like, have, but any biopic, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is if the guy is, you know him, if the right. world knows him, it's already, you know, you're already working at a disadvantage. Yeah. How are you going to do that guy? Yeah, but I also think that they made the choice to make him so crazy all the time and not sweet. And Andy's genius was that he knew what he was doing all the time. And yeah. he was like this sweet boy from Long Island yeah. who could have like serious conversations with you and be so adorable. Yeah. And then do something crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's that was like the yin yang of that was. But so you did. Appealing. You were part. You were part of the um, you were in Man on the Moon. Yeah, Man on the Moon. Yeah, I wore the same clothes. I still had them. And what now, but like, why? I mean, there's all this mythology that I think was, you know, mostly, um, what's his name? Uh, who, who was his partner? I interviewed him for two oh, and a Bob half Zemuda? hours. Oh, Bob Zamuda? Like, Zamuda really <laughs> kind of like built this myth around him. Yeah. 
but I mean, he was a prankster, but was he really, he wasn't, he was, he, he knew what he was up to. He knew what he was up to. I mean, first of all, I, I know Zmuda since I'm in grade school. What? Because we did, <laughs> Zmuda is like, my life is like a Dickens novel anyway. People kind of wander yeah. in and out. But Zmuda and I, I was in eighth grade going into freshman year. He was a junior going into senior year. And we ended up at the same uh, Loyola University high school yeah. thing and yeah. we did the boyfriend together yeah and then all of a sudden i go to school and he's he ends up in my show in high school what? i was a freshman and he was a senior and yeah. he ended up playing a part in the unsinkable molly brown yeah then i run into him in new york when i'm doing grease and he's good friends with somebody in the show yeah and then i come out to hollywood and there he is andy's right hand guy so I've known Zamuda a very long time. That's crazy. I know. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. But I think you're right. He grew, he had this mythology. But Zamuda has that Chicago sort of, eh, let's see what we can get away the with. The hustler. Thing. The hustler. Yeah. And, and in the best way, yeah. you know. Um, and Andy was just, he'd come up with the craziest things. I mean, that whole Tony Clifton thing yeah. was insane. And it did happen the way it was, only it was even crazier than you saw in the movie if you saw it. You really? Know, it was crazier? I, it was crazy. That, I mean, imagine that you're working with someone, you really like them, you're working together three months, and then all of a sudden your producers say to you, okay, the guest star next week is going to be Andy. Well, it's not Andy, but just play along. Right. It's like, oh, okay. All yeah. Right. And then he shows up with this fake chest, you know, yeah. like padded out with the, the ruffled tuxedo shirt yeah. and the, you know, ice blue tuxedo jacket with a mustache, orange fake nose, yeah. wig, and chain smoking, yeah. you know, and it's like, hey, pretty lady, hey, mess yeah. around, let's get to work here. And he was such a bad actor. Tony Clifton was so bad playing a part. He was going to be playing Louis De Palma's brother. He was, and it, the episode- And was it, and it was Andy or was it Bob? It was Andy. Yeah. Oh, it was totally Andy. Yeah. No, it was always well, it was Bob has done. I Tony know, but that later. Yeah, yeah, later to to sort of carry on this myth that maybe Andy's not dead. Yeah, but so but so y'all had to play along. It was it we came down along from the top Tuesday and then went to the run through and it was so horrible. Yeah, you know I remember some of the lines because um, it was about uh, Louis De Palma negotiating yeah. with his brother who was going to get stuck with their mother for the holidays. And the way he said the lines was like this. You know, Ma, sometimes she's glad, sometimes she's sad. (laughs) So As as, uh, Jim Brooks said, you can't have a man playing a man playing a man playing a man. (laughs) It's like I believe in in, in artists painting, but they can't paint on other artists. They can't paint on the other actors. Yeah. And so they fired him, but he said he would only get fired. They called Andy at night and said, uh, Tuesday night, and said, it's just not working out with your friend Tony. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to fire him. And he said, can you do it in person? So the next day we came in, Jim Burroughs said, who's directing, he said, you, you know, just uh, play along. We don't know what's going to happen, but here he is. He's going to, you know, this is the new guy. Yeah. So he starts, and we're like, okay, finally we can have a show this week. Yeah. And then after lunch, out of nowhere, here comes Andy with the two, here comes Tony yeah. with the two hookers that he was hanging out with the right. weekend in his trailer, all yeah. weekend in his trailer. It's like, okay, where's the director? Let's go. Let's get to work and all this. Yeah. You know, and then Judd turns to me and he says, uh, the man wants a psychodrama. He wants a psychodrama. So. The man start, being Andy. Andy. And they started punching each other until the Paramount guards pulled them apart. But the, my question is, is like, what, why, 
Why did everyone feel like they had to play along with this? Why would, why, why would you know if Jim called Andy? That's and a good said, question. And, to ask our country right now. It's like what you know. You play. It, people are fascinated by bad behavior, and I think that no, I get it. But like, if if everyone knew it was Andy, and you know, and they they why did they indulge Andy Kaufman to that degree? I think they loved what he was doing as Latka so much, even though he only had to come in Tuesday afternoon for the run through. They wrote. This, in the script, it said what he was saying, but didn't have the language. Right. And Andy, I always use this line. I said, Andy made up a country I wanted to visit. Right. Because it was such so rich in culture, what he brought in terms yeah. of the language and the history of, of you know, Latka land, whatever it was called. And so he, he, they loved what he was doing so much, they didn't want to lose him. And when he so signed his contract, threat? no, when he signed his contract, he said, my friend, Tony Clifton has to play, has to be a guest star. And he wanted three. Yeah. And he, they said, we'll sign him for one. Right. So, it was like, oh, let's see, you know, we'll play along. But they were, you know, he had enough leverage to kind of do that. But it was really, and they were fascinated. I think our guys were fascinated. I think that they thought, like, well, this is kind of funny, this yeah. is kind of cool. Let's see what. But then when they realized it was not, it was not going to work. So they got the, rid of him. Was the entire like experience of Taxi a good experience? Fantastic. Oh, such a golden time in all of our lives, and every one of us yeah. will say that. Yeah, Jim Brooks and Danny and Tony and. All of us, we loved it. We, yeah. we, I always say we had 112 shows, we had 112 parties. We were like the cool kids because it was, it was you know, bosom buddies and happy days. Laverne and Shirley, working stiffs, Mork and Mindy. Everybody came and hung out at taxis. It was like my family. You know, yeah. everybody came out and hung out. At and taxis. then, it, was it from Taxi that you were able to do the movies? Most of the bigger movies that you yeah. did. Yeah. Went right I into, can't like, believe movies. there's a fucking wood chipper out there today. I, you know, I can't tell you how it's fucking annoying me sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm a good guest to have then because it's not annoying me. Oh no, I mean, <laughs> no, I don't even think it picks up on the mics that much. But it's like every fucking day in this neighborhood, there's like something. in my old neighborhood, I was tucked in the back. Yeah, and it's just like it's with all these yards. It's like every day. Yeah. It's just like it's one thing with the blowers, but then it just becomes this thing where, like earlier, you know, there was a blower, uh-huh. and then there was a second level, which is a wood chipper. And I'm like, what? What a wood chipper? What is that? It's Fargo. <laughs> yeah, it's like just where you know, like it just it becomes like this farce. I know. With the goddamn blowers, and then it's like, what is that noise? When you are at a hotel, do you have to have it quiet, or do you have to have it dark? I don't like there to be a nightclub downstairs or to be yeah. on the street where it's like, you know, going till two in the morning. I pre- I like a quiet environment, sure. And I know, like, look, I've been doing a podcast from my house I know. one way or the other for a long time. And, you know, the, and I don't mind texture, but like, it, it just makes me sort of like, uh, it, it fills me with a type of resentment. Right. The, the, the gardening equipment in this particular <laughs> but neighborhood. But you have a beautiful so relatively neighborhood. Ne- you know, I understand. Yeah. I understand. But just one of those days where I think I'm looking for a reason to lose my fucking mind. Oh, why? Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. You could do it in front of me. Why? I'm because used to like people. Because show business is irritating sometimes. It is. It's very irritating. You got <laughs> and, that. You have to get to inner peace and have a good family life yeah. a lot sooner these days. You do? You do. But you've had this like uh, like amazingly kind of persistent career in show business. Well, I think because I haven't messed myself up. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I I, I you know what? It's like I I think because of my parents and yeah. the crazy way I grew up. Yeah. I'm always like looking like okay, what's over here? What's this? So you know, but I like, do a lot of different things. But you did all these like fun movies. Did fun movies? Books. Yeah. I don't know if they like they some of them weren't huge movies. They were kind of weird. Movies. Oh, they were like. 
weird, but I did some movies that we thought were going to be huge, and then they weren't. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> like Johnny Dangerously. That right. was a heartbreaker. Yeah, that oh. was uh, was that Piscopo and, uh, and, and, and uh, Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah, and the funniest person I've ever worked with. The two funniest people. Yeah. I have ever ever worked with. Yeah. Griffin Dunn. Yeah. And Ian McShane. Oh, they wow. will put anybody to shame. They are the funniest two people I have ever worked with in my life. Both of them Both having of them. sort of like a pretty good Serious. few years. Yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. As oh, older dudes. How great is Griffin in, how did he not get a nomination? For, for Transparent? Or for oh, what? no, for This Is Us. Oh, He's yeah, so yeah, good yeah. in that show. Yeah, yeah. So I just good. saw him, I just realized, Love I rewatched um, Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, yeah. And he plays a doctor. In He's Mexico. so good. He can do anything, but he yeah. is personally the fun. He and Ian McShane, tears roll down your cheeks when you work with these guys. They're unbelievable. I did a movie in the south of France. I can't Ian. even picture Ian McShane as funny. Fun. Oh, so funny. <laughs> so funny. Like killer funny. Which like, movies did you do with them? I did a, a little Showtime movie back yeah. then called uh, Grand Larceny yeah. with Omar Sharif, Louis Jordan. Oh, pretty wow. cool people. So that's, see, that's Funniest. what's interesting about you too is that you're at really this weird, like a lot of that generation was still around. Yeah. Yeah, you so know, I got in to, oh, Hollywood. And Bert, I worked with Bert five times yeah. and worked with him for four years on a series, but also did The Man Who Loved Women with him and got directed by Blake Edwards and just bonded with him, like first moment, laughed, had so much fun with him. Nice guy. Oh. Bert Reynolds. Best, the best. Best, best. I loved him so much. What a great guy. But I can't believe it. We're coming on the one year anniversary. Such a special, special person. Just Really, and and it's funny because we never had an affair. We never, you know, had a thing together. Yeah. But we just loved each other. Just loved. Maybe that's why we got to work together so many times. I always think, you know, yeah. I say that. Yeah. Hey, wonderful, wonderful man. Yeah. Special and just so generous. It is hard to believe person. he's gone. Really. I know, because you know why it's really hard. Because his parents lived well into their nineties, like ninety six and something, and so that he died so young. How old was well, he? Well, he was like 81. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like there are these people 82. that were always 82. so present in the culture for so long. I know. And just there. Yeah. And you just, you know, you don't, their absence, it's sort of like, wow, that's it, that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you and, guys stayed and the, close until we the We stayed end. close. I always uh-huh. called each other on birthdays and he did my radio show uh-huh. and, you know, he talks about me in his book. I talk about him in my book, and uh, you know, just I guess that's that's not so Hollywood. Yeah, well, that sounds like a stupid yeah, thing to say, <laughs> but yeah, no. But we true. stay in contact. Uh, we stay, you know. It's well, the I'm special sorry people. for your loss. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What a great guy. He was great. Yeah. I was. I've been very lucky in my career to work with a lot of wonderful people. L.A. Okay. Story you did with Steve oh, Martin. Oh my God. Yeah. My favorite part I've ever played. Yeah. Not the most like me, in fact, very right. unlike me, but Steve gave me free reign. I, I read the script yeah. and I wanted to go in as this character. Right. And they said, no, can you read the part of Trudy, the girlfriend? Yeah. And I thought, I'm so not dressed. I want to like look like the part. I said, can I do it tomorrow? Because I had therapy, actually. Yeah. So I did therapy on the phone and I wanted to like go to my, you know, go to Are my therapy. Are you still in therapy? The I'm... I did 28 years of therapy with a brilliant psychoanalyst who passed away. Mm. And now sometimes my husband and I go to her son. She was such a brilliant therapist. Yeah. She, her name is Dr. Ruth uh, Velikovsky sharon She would set up Sunday nights at 6.30 LA time, 9.30 New York time, set up six speaker boxes in her place in Princeton, New Jersey, and the six siblings for 10 years, every other Sunday, would do group therapy. Wow. So, so twenty eight years of that type of psychoanalysis. Loved and it. So when you do that for twenty eight years, and then you do it with your like, what is? 
Because there are some people that are that will do it therapy mm-hmm. like and i've done it on and off in my life and i'm very self-examining but when you sort of stay in that consistent relationship with a therapist what are you working on you're i, you, I always liken it to like there's always things that come up and there's always so many people yeah, but and why ideas. do they need what do you need them for because it's it's great to brainstorm with somebody that you trust mm. that you can it's like going to a computer and it's you're asking questions that ask you questions that back and forth and back and forth so and there were just so many people but you but for you did you have a, a psychological issues that you you know that constant that needed constant maintenance no I, I, new ones come up because I definitely went into it at the time I felt like I was numb my 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 mother was still alive but my father had died uh-huh. i was having i found myself dating a lot of men that were in other relationships so i was kind of like a professional other woman uh-huh. and i found myself not picking impossible people to have a relationship uh-huh. with and then complaining that i didn't couldn't where is that right, guy you know right, i'm not right, how can right. i have a relationship right. you know without it was blaming yourself easy, without blaming myself yeah. so it was always easy to leave yeah. or say oh well of course it didn't work out he had uh-huh. a girlfriend or he was crazy or he did this or whatever yeah. and i remember and it was just like hard for me to make commitments and uh-huh. things and I remember I was living um, up on 83rd Street at the time, and I like went to the 79th Street uh, L to uh, L subway yeah. to go downtown. Yeah. And I got on, and then we pulled up to 72nd, and I thought, ooh, should I take the express? Stay on the local express, stay on the local. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to take the express. So I ran to the express, the doors closed, ran back to the local, the doors closed. And the two trains were like whizzing by me. I'm in the middle of the platform, and I thought, no wonder I'm on my way to therapy. You know, it was like not easy for me to make decisions or to to take action. And, mm-hmm. and I just felt like I was so out of touch with my feelings at the time. And then new things come up. You want to become more successful and the problems get bigger and you lose your mom. And, you know, yeah. weight is an issue because I was dealing with, with weight. You know, women, you can't talk to any women... Because we were raised by mothers like your mother, like yeah. my mother, and then there, you know, there there were issues always with food and stuff until I so, figured out how to eat. So really, it was about kind of like trying to make better decisions for yourself, accepting who you are, and why you make the decisions you do. You know what it is too. I always thought that I don't want to be a wise old person. I want to be a wise young person. Mm-hmm. I want to doctor it on myself. I don't want just an eighth grade or a high school or a college education. I want to know why I do what I do, where that comes from why am I reactive what is you know going on here and I it just felt like and I just loved it I loved the process so much and the more I was getting my siblings into it the more what were I you doing see. so you got six speakers set up so and you're doing group therapy from different places yeah what are you trying to was it more about the relationships between you guys or what you happened uh, in your childhood everything everything huh. I mean we you know we had a very tragic very tragic um, situation with my father and one of my brothers that I was talking about a little bit earlier. He, We were having a Christmas party at our house. I was 17. He was 16. My sister was 15. My brother was 12. Uh, my two older sisters were like 27 and 23. Big Christmas party, all the dancing students, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. My brother got into some liquor that my father... Um, had been given as a Christmas gift. He started mouthing off to one of the guests. My father made him go in the house. Uh, I see my sister. I'm at the party. I see my sister run out, get my mother. I follow them. My brother and father are arguing. My my brother is like hitting him. My father's got him down. He's hitting him. My mother separates them. My father slumps into a chair and has a heart attack and dies. And that's how he dies. 
So we had things to deal with in my family, you know. Yeah. And so. And that was the core of it for everybody. That was well part of it. Well, that was part of it. But everyone was there. Everyone was there. We had a hundred yeah. people in our dance studio and all through our house and everything else, and it was just. And very, then your dad, your brother, probably had what feelings of he was guilt? sixteen, sure. You know, oh, yeah. all kinds of things. So you know, things things got shoveled under the. I mean, we've always been a very verbal family. Very yeah. like people, you know, have incredible conversations. Our favorite thing to do is sit around yeah, and talk. Right. But we had issues, and we had to like deal with certain things. And then things come up in our own lives that you want to bring to the group and sort of talk to them about. Right. You know? And you were 17? I was 17. 20, I just turned 26. And it was tragic. Life. It was quick. Tragic. And horrible. And, and, like overnight. Like, yeah. like our life turned on a dime. And what's crazy is that if I were writing a, a story about this family yeah. and there were certain signs along the way, you know, uh -huh. just little conversations and things. You know, my dad was not in the health of... I'll give you an example. I was filling in one of the scholarship things and my father filled in the financial and I filled in the personal information. And uh -huh. I said, oh, let me check it. And he said, no, 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 that's okay. And he sent it in. I got it back in the mail two days after he died and they wanted my mother's age because nobody was ever sure of my mother's age. So right. I left it blank and he left it blank Yeah, just because we thought the other one filled it right. in. But what my father had written was, um, they said, do you, you know, if you expect decrease in income. And so he had a different income for the following year written down. Yeah. And he wrote, um, he wrote, um, expect decrease in salary because of decrease in health. Angina pains are more frequent and severe. So he knew. So. And, and. And do you find that after, like, through all this process, like, are you guys very close now? Oh, yeah. Super close. All of us. We get together at Christmas, yeah. and we all block off five days to a week and do such incredible things together. We have, you know, there's always some kind of food crawl that it starts with. We did an Anthony Bourdain food crawl last time. We do a Christmas survey. We do Secret Santa. We I do the cooking for Christmas. We go to somebody else's house. Yeah. We do a, some kind of sports oh, event. Oh. Whether it's no, we're super close. And now the family numbers, you know, in 32 or 33. Or oh something. yeah, everyone's yeah. got kids, and kids have got kids probably. Uh, uh, well, yeah, kids. My oldest sister. You want to hear something crazy in my yeah. family? My oldest sister's daughter. Because we're a 15-year spread. My oldest sister's daughter is 54. My brother's, who's 15 years younger than she is, than the sister, his daughter's four. <laughs> so there's a 50-year spread, 50-year wow. age spread in that second tier. That's so crazy. It's crazy. So now, you doing Dancing with the Stars makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And you did it. I did it. That yeah. was one of the hardest things of my life. Really? I, yeah. It was, Yeah. It was hard because for a lot of different reasons, but yeah, it was really intense. Miss, but it was, I just, my mission was to stay on the show. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Because of competitive reasons? No, I think I had the wrong partner at the time. I Who think was your was partner? Derek Huff. He was in a tough time in his life. I'm very like, he was, I don't think we were a match. Oh. And so, unfortunately. So you had to deal with a little more emotional baggage than you prepared. Well, I knew, I mean- he was doing two jobs, so his the schedule was based around him rather than... What was he going through in his He was life? going through... No, no, no. He was going through hairspray. He was going oh, through right. hairspray, but he was also going through... I think he expected to come back and have it. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. But, okay. Yeah. So, and then, but The Apprentice, too. Yes. 
Now, when you do pens. these things, are you doing it to stay? Do you, you like the work, or you need the work? I love. Or? No, no, they don't yeah. pay you enough on Apprentice. Believe me, you just <laughs> no, wanted you to lose money. And you did it when Trump was Two. the guy. Yeah, it was fun. I was the first person they called for Celebrity Apprentice because I know uh, Chuck LaBelle and I knew Mark Burnett. Yeah. So they called me. They said, would you do... And Don was on the phone too. And it was a blast. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it was so much fun. And it was so crazy. And you get no sleep, but you really prove what you can do to yourself. I and, think. and you had a relationship with Donald... Yeah, that was show business. Yeah, that was show business. No, but I mean, like before he is the president. Yeah. Now, what you know, as somebody who knew him as this guy that had this reality show, right? What were your feelings about him? Well, at he was that time, certainly fun in the show, uh-huh. and he he was totally fascinated by my memory. So every show. You didn't see it because they, mm-hmm. of course, cut it out. But every boardroom, he'd have me tell him what happened and what. I mean, he was always like, Mary Lou, if I take you to Vegas, you know, could you count cards and stuff? You know, it was like, right. he was so. I mean, he was of like, of course, that's what he does. Uh, somebody would say what happened in a, on a task, and he'd say, Mary Lou, is that true? Because you're the one with the memory. You know, you know, I have a good memory too. But do you, you know, <laughs> you have uh, my memory's not. Probably, I, I can't do the dates thing, but yeah. I have an excellent, you know. That's so funny. But he was, he'd be like, he'd say something totally inappropriate, and he'd say, uh, that, Eric, cut that out. And I don't, I'd say, I don't know, that's kind of funny. He'd say, Eric, leave that in. You know? <laughs> but I, I'll tell you something. He was fascinating because he used no notes. Yeah. And he just, he was off the cuff, and he was like, he was kind of like fun and wacky. If someone had told me that four years to the day after I was fired from a fake job, from a fake boss on a fake show, that he would be president of the United States, I, no, no way would I have believed it. And how do you sort of assimilate that in your head with the, you know, w- w- like knowing that guy and having that kind of relationship, you, you know, and, ha- you know, because most of the guy, people I know, comedians and stuff who knew him, they're like, yeah, he was kind of a clown and, you know, funny and he made you feel yeah. good. and. He's very charming. He's very charming. He tripped once in front of me. He's like, oh, she's going to remember that. You know, he's like, like sort of very quick, like, very quick. Yeah. He was really fun. I never expected him to be president. No, I never as, expected him to be like the president he is. Yeah. At all. I thought he'd be much kinder and more conscious and more, you know. Do you think more, he only gives a shit about himself? I think he goes where the action is. I think if everybody, you know, loved him over on the Democratic side, he'd go there. I think he, you know, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't even think it's, it's. I think he goes where the action is. He goes where's, where's yeah. the crowd, and he knows how to stir people up. That's for sure. You know, he knows how to stir people yeah. up. But I, he, I hate all the racism. I hate all the misogyny. I hate, you know. I mean, and he was, he was no more inappropriate in the boardroom or than than most guys of that generation. Yeah. you know what I mean. But he was so. I, 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 I the idea of the children at the borders and the families. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I did not expect that from him at all. I didn't expect him to turn into that guy. Yeah, and I, he goes with the fan base that wants that. Yeah. So that's what he does, that's you know. And I think that people there's must be some kind of puppet master, although he doesn't want to think that there is. Uh, there's several. Several. Yeah, yeah because he doesn't want to concern himself with that shit. He's of not, course, he doesn't no. know what he's doing. He just wants to be they out in front of the people. They didn't expect to win. He didn't expect to win. Yeah, but I mean, but he's the guy. But he doesn't. He, he's no thinker. So he's like he's got all these monsters, you know. And yeah, I'm making not even, sure. I'm not even being an apologist. It, it's just yeah. that you know you're right. He he's going for the crowd that they're, they're really horrible. 
And then he's got people that are, you know, uh, you know, Republican policy dudes and religious fanatics right. who are just like, he's like, I don't want to deal with that. You get, do whatever you want. Yeah. I'll keep these he people. He likes the crowd. He yeah, likes I'll the keep crowd. these so people however, worked up. However he can keep them worked up. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm saddened uh, by Ivanka because I loved her and I, we, she and I, you know, we had a nice relationship, and it's I'm just, hard to picture them hard. as even regular. They're not even like they're. What kind of people are they? I know. Yeah. I mean, that so many things are going on right now, and just just the bullying. It's just it. It's just it's so crazy making that. How do you wrap your head around? I it? just think that they're so insulated that they really don't give a fuck. It's just that, like, ultimately, whatever policies outside of environmental, which is going to affect everybody, yeah. he knows that none of it's going to touch him. Right. He doesn't no, have it's to. Not gonna, yeah, exactly. It has no effect on his and, life. But you know what it, it is, too, is, you know, as an actor, you're always trying to figure out what's your want in the scene. Yeah. What does everybody want in the scene? He just wants to stay in front of the crowd. He wants to stay with people cheering and yelling. He turns every appearance into people, uh-huh. you know, yeah. cheering and yelling. Yeah. So, yeah. He doesn't that's, that's his want. Yelling that's lock her up. Or- <laughs> And kick it's, her out or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. But, yeah, but right. it was fun. I had a great time. On I made apprentice. a lot of money. Okay, good for uh, Alzheimer's Association. Yeah. yeah, and the first time for a physicians committee for responsible medicine. Yeah, you know? and so that that's great. Yeah. So now the books. Now this has been y- your journey through getting healthy and you know learning a different way to live and because you did position yourself as sort of a self help person yeah for a of while. course of course yeah. no 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 you, for sure therapy can be self-help you know is that what you're no no saying? i mean like when you write books about oh, yeah, diet yeah, yeah. about totally. that kind of stuff no totally i i was doing chicago on broadway and writing a book at the same time because you know god mm-hmm. forbid there's any downtime even with a three and a nine you know two-year-old and a yeah. three-and-a-half-year-old but but you know I, I i was like so revved up from all the fossey afterwards that yeah. the kids were asleep so i'd go to an office and work with somebody who was you know taking notes and we were brainstorming storming and making tapes and stuff like that and I finished the show and the book came out and immediately the went book? on the, the first book and went on the uh, New York Times bestseller list well it was the first health book I had written an autobiography and what got, was the first health book called uh, total health makeover mm. yeah and it went it was on the list for a very long time it was great I was yeah. really it, it just gave me another whole career now these things do you do you do you tour with them do you ever go out and do the talks or what? oh all the time you like do. at least 10 times I'm, I'm going to spartanburg south carolina next week and i was just in san diego i'm going to san diego again i was in i mean i go all over the what's country. the name of the, the talk i do different talks because because i wrote a memory book but then also my husband that's yeah. another whole story yeah he and i knew each other in college he was my roommate's this boyfriend. Is your third husband Third and final. Yeah. He was my roommate's boyfriend. Yeah. We ran into each other in a courthouse in New Orleans when I was getting married to Freddie Forrest. I was getting the, that long ago. Right. I was getting the uh, marriage license and ran into Michael in the, 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 the you know, hallway. He mm-hmm. was just passing through, married with kids and stuff, but we always liked each other. And as he walked he was away married from me, I thought, how come I'm not marrying a guy like that? Didn't bode well for my first marriage. But but anyway, so what happened was we reconnected 16 and a half years ago, got together. Within a week, we're saying, I love you. You're the love of my life. And You were both divorced? Yeah. Mm. Two months later, uh, he's diagnosed with bladder cancer and then lung cancer. And I said, failure's not an option. You're the love of my life. I know like the best people that uh, integrative medicine... And to make a very long story short, no chemo, no radiation. He didn't lose his bladder. 
He didn't lose his prostate. They were telling us they were going to, the guy was going to take out his bladder and his prostate and make a neobladder with his intestines and run a hose up his penis so that if we wanted to have sex, we can pump it up six times. And I said, oh, can we have the seven pump model? Because we're a sexy couple. Yeah. And he said, uh, I said, what about nutrition, health, detox? He said, ah, have all the steak and highballs you want. Then we'll do chemo and radiation. And then he found out he had lung cancer as well because they did a body scan. Two separate sites, two primary sites. He totally nursed himself back to health. He did have um, the the. He was very lucky with the uh, lung cancer because it was bronchial alveolar, which is a very slow growing cancer, and it was in a very specific spot of his lower right lobe, so right right lung. And they took it out from the side. Yeah. And uh, but he never did chemo or radiation. He did immunotherapy for the bladder, and he's fifteen. He's almost sixteen years in remission. This huh. November, so so no chemo but immunotherapy. There was definitely mm-hmm. medicine involved. Oh yeah, but yeah. but just not but total detox. He did total total detox. Everything from getting rid of the fillings in his teeth, chelation therapy, totally vegan diet, lots of supplementation, infrared saunas because they get it on the cellular level because a lot of the poisons are in your fat, so they kind of clean that out. Um, lymphatic massages, high colonics. I mean, he did everything, and he continues to do a lot of these things because he's maintained it, and huh. uh, and he's been in remission. It'll be November twenty fourth. It'll be um, sixteen years. Well, that's congratulations. Yeah, so we wrote a book about that. So we we both go sometimes around the country, or I go to talk to a lot of cancer groups about Michael's protocol and how, our journey through all of that. But I, I would have to say that most of the things I do now are, you know, in terms of speaking, have to do with memory, health, and cancer. What do you say about memory? Well, um, I talk about the fact that no matter how bad people think their memory is, it's so much better than they realize, but you just have to know how to grab onto it. Because we just have people who have my kind of memory, we just have an extraordinary retrieval system. Mm-hmm. But all your memories are inside of you, they're all part yeah. of you and on your emotional hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> knock this over. They're on your emotional hard drive. Everybody has a primary track, what I call a primary track. Mm-hmm. It's like in the jigsaw puzzle of your life, what are the hard-edged pieces by which you can interlock the other pieces mm-hmm. to? And so, you know, for a lot of people, it might be gigs that you've played, relationships, places you've lived. Everything's becoming pre- sort of a mush. Well, because because you're in the same place every day, probably. No, I've been in too many different places, and mm-hmm. I can't place people. Like, I don't, like, there are chunks of my life that took place in New York, Boston, but San Francisco. But that should be easier for you. Kind it, of. Because memory mean, happens in chunks. I guess so. But like, I don't, when it, someone comes up to me and they're like, hey, you know, I've met so many people. Yeah. And I used to be pretty good at remembering faces, but there, I've, some of it's just lost. Is it pre the 20 years? Is it the sobriety? Sure, some of it, yeah. So it's like two different realities? I guess. I, I, no, it's just like, I don't know what's really going on with me. It just seems like some things are getting very far away. Hmm. You yeah. know, and uh, and I, I, I think that, and I'm also overwhelmed and busy all the time. And I think it, it just becomes hard to, you know, like I'm so everything in the present, but I, like I feel like I'm losing things. Mm. But uh, are you naturally pruning or do you choose to prune? Or my do memory? You think like, yeah. Because that's what, a lot of times people, you know, prune away they, they, I, because they don't want to. I don't know, you know if I, I don't think I'm doing it on purpose. You, yeah. you know, it just seems like there were different lives I lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they should be almost easier to track. No, I, I mean, can track them to a degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Well, the 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 saddest thing that I learned through all of this mm-hmm. memory stuff was that um, in any given year of someone's life, most people remember only eight to eleven things that happened to them, mm-hmm. and that to me is just crazy because I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine only hanging on to eight to eleven things that happened within a year. So if I said to you, you know, 2003 or 1997 or, mm-hmm. you know, 2016 or whatever, that, that most people would only remember 8 to 11. So that's like what it's bizarre, does that right? mean? Yeah. And you can remember everything from every day. Mm-hmm, pretty much. Yeah. Some things take a little bit longer, but some things are so... Me- the day of the week just comes up automatically. I don't even know how. It just, just it's there. Yeah. And it just comes up and then it starts to fill in all the details. And it gets deeper and deeper the more I start, you know, thinking about it. Like, like if I set a date, you could do yeah. that? Tell me a date. <laughs> as long as I'm c- conscious, not before I'm born. Because people no. go, what about 1800, you know? Or could you go back in a memory and like you're in the room, but you go around the door and I go, I can't bend time. I'm not going to be able to. Well, let's say like, okay, so let's say like August 9th, 1999. Okay, August 9th, <laughs> August 9th, 1999. Um, uh, 99, August 9th was a Monday. Look it up. Okay, I believe you. Yeah. What was going on with you that day? Um, I was doing Chicago in... Oh, I know exactly what I was doing. Oh, my gosh. We went to see Siegfried and Roy that day at uh, at the Mirage. I was doing Chicago, yeah. August 9th, 1999. We ate at Cherko the, the night before. Uh-huh. And we ate, of course, in the, uh, the at the Mirage the yeah. day of August uh-huh. 9th. Yeah. How was I was green, off that day. How was it I had a green Roy? top on. Yeah. And agree. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you went with your kids. I went with my kids and my husband, and we had a big fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. Seriously? <laughs> that was my second husband. Yeah. About Siegfried and Roy? No. That's sort of fascinating like that, that yeah. you can do that, huh? Mm-hmm. It's fun for me. Well, you know? What do you, what is that? It, and you have a certain type of uh, thing? What do you mean? What like, is it called? Yeah. It's called HSAM, Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory. And they've taken 300 measurements of our brains, and they found nine areas, 10 times larger than the normal brain. Uh-huh. And there's very few people in the world who have this. Yeah. There's a group in the 99th percentile, and there's they've relaxed some of the criteria because um, they needed more money for research. There's yeah. so few people. Do you know so, the others? I've met a couple of them. Because other the sixty minutes thing, I don't know if you saw that. Right? I heard about it. Yeah, minutes, yeah, it's it, it's been life changing. Because yeah. you know, you just grow up with this thing. You don't even know it's that weird. You don't realize how few people have it, and then all of a sudden, people are talking about it, and you're in medical books, and people are testing you. And well, that's very entertaining, and it must have something to do with your energy level <laughs> as well. I guess I don't know what exactly. Well. Memory is tied to adrenaline. Yeah, that's why people remember the highs and the lows. Right. But I, try, I'm trying to. But you just have them remember. all at the old. You have all of it all the time. It's all Are you happening. Making on, fun of me? No, <laughs> I I'm couldn't just, wait to do your show. I was, I was more excited, or at, almost as excited as yeah. when I went on the Tonight Show with Sting, which was uh, maybe my what most day was memorable. That? May the thirteenth of nineteen ninety three. It was a Thursday, and I was on with Jay. And I found out Sting was going to be on. I totally embarrassed myself, and I didn't care. I just had to, and people to this day stop me about that. What did you do? 
oh my God, I said to him, I was so excited. I was like, you know, I love you. I couldn't wait to meet you. Sting. I said to Sting. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to smell him. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, I said, you know how I wrote in the book? I said, I wanted to write on the page next to you. Uh, Mercedes Rule was there. So I turned the thing over. I wrote, please. And I wrote on the other side. I said, please keep this book close so that Sting is always on top of me. Yeah. You know, I said things like that. Was he so nice guy to you? You shut up. Yes. He, he doesn't strike nice. me as a terrific. He seems like a little standoffish something he's yeah <laughs> he was very nice he was very nice well, I'm and glad it's nice when you know, somebody loves you from, uh, as a fan to yeah. be at least cordial well you want to be yeah I mean, have you had people like come up to you and then the golf I mean did you feel accosted by me at the at the at the theater no not accosted no I was happy to see you and I was happy you were very that friendly backstage when, when you went to talk to Annette Benning and well, I, was I, was, I was standing there with Annette Benning I have a oh. lot going on there okay well I didn't was I, I nice in the theater I was I you still I, I never thought I'd hear from you again really yes because you weren't you weren't that friendly, but that's okay. Uh-huh. Now I see how friendly you are and how good you are. At I'm this. very, I'm very good with uh, my fans and people that know me. I try to be gracious and nice. You know, if I'm not, it's only because you, you know, I'm tired or I've been through. You know, sometimes, sure. you know, you're trying to have a day. You know, you of know course. That. Oh, yeah. I know what it's like. No, I mean, I, 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 and I probably hosed you too much about what a fan I was. To say, I want to be on your show. Yeah. How did it go? Do you feel this show went good? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I think so. Uh, no, no, I think it did too. But if you were so excited about it, I, I don't want you to leave going like that wasn't a good experience. That was a letdown. And it's funny that, well, first of all, I'm a little disappointed we're not in your garage because of my garage roots. Well, something. I'm sorry to let you down on the garage. No, thing. I'm teasing you. But also, WTF is something that we used to say at Taxi all the time. Mm. Like if there was, we used to have two phrases. One of them was if all of a sudden, you thought, like, what does that joke mean? You, we'd call it joke obscura. Yeah. Joke obscura, and we'd point to our script. And the other one was, like, if something took you out of it, it was a what the fuck. Yeah. So that you had to, like, a WTF, and we'd write it in our yeah. scripts. Because if, like, the person who's watching the show has to turn to the person next to them, like, what did they just say? Or, you know, right, whatever. right, right. What did that mean? So, so we were you... always trying to avoid joke JOs and WTFs oh, in good. our scripts. Well, yeah, so I'm glad that you reminds didn't... me of it. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't avoid this one. No, I didn't, of yeah. course. And the other funny thing that... Mm-hmm. That you know, uh, I told you I did the original Grease in Chicago, mm-hmm. but my mother wouldn't come to see it because I said "fuck you" in it seven times. My character, and she just she just didn't like me swearing. She said, "You can take all your clothes off, but you can't swear." But she then she saw the Broadway version that I did and the on the road version, and she saw it. And I still said a lot of "fuck yous." And she was so okay. She, she was okay. She her daughter was in show business. Are you yeah, kidding? Her dream. She acclimated to the "fuck yous." She loved it. All yeah. right. <laughs> It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming. Nice talking to you, too. There you go. And you know what? She was right. She was right. My birthday was on a Friday. There you go. I'm going to play some guitar now. I have been listening to a a little bit too much. Modu Maktar. Yeah. Maybe maybe you can hear it in... in, You know what? I'm going to go. All right. Enjoy yourselves.
Boomer lives.